Hey, it's HPG. This is the podcast, Living My Breastless Life, the show where we hear about my journey to heal while battling cancer, being a wife, a toddler mom. We're going to cover all things real life. We learn what it really means to heal no matter what we go through. In season one, you will hear some of my story along with episodes featuring my occasional co-host, Martha, and some badass guests. There will be humor, life hacks, tips and tricks, and further proof that truth can be stranger than fiction. On today's episode, I'm so excited to introduce Elizabeth Graves, a total badass, my cancer coach, humongous kudos to us for the work that we did together during my journey through cancer and survivorship. You are a two-time cancer survivor, mama, and cancer coach. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here today on the podcast. So I want to just dive right in. What is a life coach? I love this question. Um, It took me a long time to get really comfortable describing it. And I think the way I prefer to talk about it now is that um, therapy is really focused a lot in our past, kind of healing from the the things that may, may still wound us now. And coaching is really about a focus on the future. And I think um, a lot of coaches, myself included, are really focused on one specific aspect of your life. Um, So, you know, for example, right now, I'm really focused on working with women um, who have been diagnosed with cancer. I'm, I'm really even narrowing down my focus these days, working with people who've already completed treatment and are in that stage of kind of re-entering life. So we're focused that the the clients that I'm working with are really focused on um, kind of re-entry into normal life, right? Post-cancer life. How do I how do I do this? And so we're focused specifically on things like you know um, setting goals, setting boundaries, reestablishing relationships that may have kind of fallen to the wayside through cancer treatment, um, going back to work, all of the kinds of things that you know I, I like to say. Um, you know, all of the things that you dreamt of while you were sitting in the chemo chair, like these are the things I want to survive for. Mm-hmm. Now we've got to get you ready to do them again. Yes, absolutely. Like you talked about a lot of things there that I want to speak on. <laughs> I think that number one, the fear of reoccurrence at the stage that I'm in seven months, mm-hmm. seven months post physical treatment. And when I say physical treatment, I mean surgeries, chemo, radiation. I'll be Mm -hmm. on oral therapies for the next decade. Right. But seven months past radiation, when you taught me like that the three months past, like Mm -hmm. when that ends, Mm -hmm. that that's when the healing begins. Right. You were spot on. I believe from a more scientific perspective, this is just according to HPG. I don't really, I'm not a doctor, but I think your brain and your body truly comes out of survival mode 
And the rest of you, like mind, body, spirit, the things that make you you, Mm -hmm. the chemicals in your brain that allow you to process what happened around you, to you, you know, is so important. And a lot of survivors that I talk to feel that the expectation is like, I have finished radiation, I have finished chemo on Friday, and on Monday, I'm going to be the old HPG. Exactly. Or this new person that just recovered from something similar to the flu, who just needs a little rest and they'll be fine. Right. Like, it's like a box you check. Like I agree okay. 100%. Mm-hmm. Cancer diagnosis, check. Treatment, check. Survived, check. Monday, back to the office, check, check. Like nothing ever happened. Yes, I agree. I really, I think that you're spot on on that. And it's, um, it's, it's a really, really difficult um, mismatch between expectations and reality. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that the old you isn't waiting on the other side of ringing that chemo bell, right? On the last day of chemo and radiation, you ring a bell. Old you is not waiting on the other side of, of that bell. Um, but who is, right? And so, yeah, that's what, what I tend to work with my clients on a lot right now is um, how do we take the benefit of what is kind of learned and gained from going through such a life, life-changing experience? How do we take what we've learned, the benefit, the kind of, the ability to kind of really hone in on what's important, the ability to kind of let go of the things that aren't, take those kind of nuggets, right, that wisdom that we've gained and pull that into the next version of our life. But also there's so much healing to do. I mean, it's just... Most of us are nearly completely wiped out physically by the time we complete treatment. And then we've got, like you said, physical, emotional, spiritual healing that really needs to start taking place. And also now we have society's expectations that we should be hitting the ground running, like you said, on Monday morning. It's just this really, really challenging time. I think for most survivors, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the people I work with, that transition time between when treatment ends to what's my next version of life look like, that kind of gap there is extremely difficult. Um, you know, the, the thing that we don't talk about a lot kind of as a society is treatment for cancer is really, really difficult, challenging, taxing, uh, emotionally wipes us out, but it is active, right? So once we've just, we've received the diagnosis of cancer, going through treatment, receiving surgery, receiving chemo, receiving radiation, actively getting to those appointments, seeing doctors on a daily, sometimes weekly basis. All of that is actually like really active healing, quote unquote healing, right? Active work of getting rid of cancer. Then there's this period once that treatment ends for, for a couple of months, right? Usually between uh, six to 12 weeks where we're waiting. Did this work? Right. And that passive waiting is agony for a lot of people. And we start to look kind of more like our old selves. We start to look like 
a version of ourselves that maybe doesn't present as you know clearly um, going through treatment and so people just start to assume like yeah you should be showing up like your old self and yet most people feel like they couldn't be further from that they've never been further from their old self than they are at that, that point absolutely absolutely and it's so nuanced and person specific and in the interviews that I've done with nurses and the doctors that I know they're here to save our life right mm-hmm. I'm a social worker. I've focused on helping the person, the whole person, for 20-something years. So it's hard. Number one, it's hard to be a patient. Number two, you want someone to focus on, like, you. (laughs) But I found myself wanting to be a person, not a patient, but acknowledge that I'm going through hell. I wanted to be seen as myself, but like acknowledged, I don't know, it's a clusterfuck really of like, I want to be seen as a as an individual, not as a patient, but God, I'm fighting cancer for fuck's sake, will you leave me alone? Like right. this, this nuanced in the middle pattern and like, it is so complicated. It is not at all black and white and... Part of the reason of creating this podcast is to talk about like the things that people don't really talk about. Mm -hmm. And as like my career, my entire career as a medical social worker, I never heard some of these things mentioned by other people, but I never followed one person's care from the beginning to the end, air quotes, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's so much conversation to be had. And like with like a life coach, there are tons of life coaches that add such value to helping with a specific goal. But I think where cancer coaching specifically is very helpful in my case and working with you, I can only speak to my lived experience, but you are a two-time cancer survivor. You are a mom. I am a mom. Our children are little. Mm-hmm. We are the same age, I think roundabout Um, you and I have a lot of things in common but beyond that there is if you're ever going to fight they call it fight like a girl like fight it's a fight for your life like I think that's where the coaching for me was so valuable because number one there's no you can google it till the cows come home because I have like (laughs) how to you know be positive everybody's like be positive you got this what does that mean (laughs) it's also so minimizing all at the same time you know Mm -hmm. it's just so nuanced but like as a coach what I think was so helpful for me was like we're gonna set a specific goal during our time together and I could focus on that one thing Mm -hmm. which you know getting me to focus is is challenging in and of itself. (laughs) Then you throw chemo and meds and those eight appointments you were talking about and a two-year-old and a spouse and a job and trash day and grief. And I think grief is hands down the most complicated thing in the world. It's super complicated. I mean, I think we've got all of the things that you're talking about, right? That those things don't go away. And then we add things like grief, loss of fertility, a changed physical body, mm-hmm. drastically changed energy levels, literal physical pain, scarring. I mean, it is 
you know, almost, from my perspective, it's almost as life-changing as something like, you know, becoming a parent or, you know, it's yeah. just um, a completely, for me, it has been a completely leveling experience. You know, I, I, I used to mm-hmm. say that the first time I found out I had cancer, it felt like a bomb had gone off. Everything was, was leveled and I had to figure out what to stand back up. And the second time, three and a half years later, I had figured out what to stand back up and I didn't want to lose mm-hmm. it. So I felt desperate to try to save the life I built. It's a yeah. very humbling, frightening experience. And for most of us, particularly in you know what they call AYA, so adult or adolescent young adult space, right? People under 40, under 45. We don't know a lot of people who've been through this experience. And it's a really different thing to go through this as a 75-year-old, you know, where you've got some time and some space to kind of heal. Um, But when we're going through it, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you when I I heard about your um, cancer was that um, there's so few people who have babies, you know, when they're diagnosed. Thank God, right? Right. Thank God. This isn't a shared story from from many people, but we both had Um, Mm one-year-olds. So, you know, we're also dealing with things like grief around the fact that you can't pick up your baby the way you want to. And it's just just endless, right? Like it's, um, you're literally fighting for your life and also feeling the guilt and the grief of not being able to show up for the one you have the way you want. Right. I will tell you, hands down, the thing I feel the most guilt about is not being able to physically care for my daughter from like September to like April, like six months of her life. And I carry a lot of guilt, okay? But when I think about like the past couple years of my life, I feel the most guilt around that particular instance. But everybody is so different, you know? And But I also like want to point out too that like when you are working with someone, like when we were talking about therapy that focuses on your past, I, I want to circle back to the to the therapy you know I'm a believer in therapy I go twice a week me too I love that it is I have been in therapy my whole life and I am matter of fact having a shirt made for me by a friend in all caps that says go to therapy I believe in it wholeheartedly but you can dive into your past and, and and you can do a lot of good work there but where I think coaching was so valuable was you were able to meet me where I was in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like if I were literally in the bed looking at my fingernails having a whole moment about losing my fingernails. I was looking back at pictures of those today by the way. Oh we but like in that moment I could I don't know it helped me be more present and focus on like the real things that I was feeling like in that moment versus where I think therapy will be helpful for me when I'm trying to cope with oh my god I had cancer and like Mm -hmm. more of like did it trigger PTSD that type Mm -hmm. of like more complicated maybe more additional support around more complicated grief for me specifically does that make sense? 100% and I think you know, all coaches uh, approach this differently, just like therapists approach 
therapy differently, right? But for me, um, the things that I work really um, purposefully on are your mindset and kind of the next right steps, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm talking with my clients, we tend to, to say things like, you know, waiting right now is really, really difficult and it's normal that you're feeling this way. And staying in this space of like fear, overwhelming um, grief, right? Like feeling so out of control. Those feelings are worth acknowledging, sitting with, allowing, which means feeling your way all the way through them. And Mm -hmm. I also know that for most people, getting up and going for a walk, right? Allowing this kind of to process through their bodies is is a really helpful thing. You know, I think one of the things that we want to be aware of is that Um, We don't have to do anything perfectly in order to get through it, right? So the goal is to continue moving forward. Um, And some days that's going to be prettier than others. But your experience is understood. It's allowed here. I don't expect it to look any better than it does. And I also have the proof that I could get through it, which is so helpful for clients, right? So when they're saying things like, I don't know how I can do today, I know what that feels like because I've done it, right? We don't have to do a lot of explaining. There's a lot of kind of understood in our relationship. And that is such a gift when you're going through these really hard spaces. I agree. I 100% agree. And I think like for the supports that I had that were the most helpful were people who were going through it with me or other survivors. And what I hear from other survivors, some some folks really want to focus on the success story. And you and I, thankfully, are success stories. But there is a moment, many moments for me, where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Let's take a little break and get right back to the show. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch by heading over to According to HPG on Instagram and be sure to tell your friends about the show. There was a time when I thought I could record, edit, and publish everything myself. Seeing as this left me very little time for anything else, I started to lose the standard of quality I was used to. Then I found Jay. In less than a day, the show went from so-so to amazing. Don't sacrifice quality for mediocrity. Check out the podcast mechanic and take your sound to the next level. Connect with Jay today at the podcast mechanic on Instagram. Let him know HPG sent you. And now, back to the show. When we would have our sessions together, and you helped me visualize a lot, and that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking, like, all I can see in front of me is this cylinder wall, like block wall. That's all I could see. And I remember during one of our sessions, I was talking about going to my hometown 
to a pool party specifically and you were like what music are you listening to what does your surroundings look like what are they what are you hearing what are you eating what are you smelling tasting and that visualization I didn't know that it was helping me then but when I look back I'm like gosh that was really powerful because I could see Tamay because when you're in the type of when you're in really heavy treatment, you can't see maybe past the hour of symptom management or like getting to the next treatment feels like an eon. So to be able to learn to visualize positive things on the other side of treatment is is really valuable. Yeah, I think a hundred percent agree with you. Um, when I when I think about you know working with people who are in treatment, we talk about we talk a lot about you know what does it take to mentally prepare for the next treatment we don't have a ton of control over how well our bodies tolerate the treatment that we go through um, but we do have control over how our minds tolerate Um, so that's what I tend to work a lot with clients who are are actively in treatment and then um, once we're kind of getting toward the end of that just like you're talking about giving some picture of what the future could bring, right? So that we have this sort of, um, I don't know, I think of it almost as like what's on the other side of this tunnel, right? How do we let some light in mm-hmm. and, and create some hope? Um, you know, creating hope is like a, is a big thing that we work on, which is, you know, helping you to remember that you do have control over some things in your life. I'm asking mm-hmm. my clients to feel really um, connected to the things that they have that they have control over and then making a plan to sort of exercise those areas. So just like you're talking about, we, mm-hmm. when you and I would talk, you talked a lot about how much your friends and your family mean to you. And you also talked a lot about how much music means to you, right? And so if we can start to create mm-hmm. these vignettes, right, that you'll respond to that, that kind of pull at your um, internal resilience to bring you forward. Those are the kinds of moments where we start building some um, inner internal self-trust that helps us keep moving, even when it's just, it feels impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember, like, I'm a very, very visual person and I can pull up those. It's almost like snapshots of, like, during our session of me by the pool, listening to Tori famous. Um, you know, and I was like, I could see it. You, I think you, of course, know what I mean. And other listeners may know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it is very hard to visualize happiness. Mm-hmm. And you gave that gift to me and I am forever thankful for that. And I think it's really fascinating that you are a two-time cancer survivor and a cancer why did why did you decide this is what I want to do? <laughs> That's such a great question. I have been coaching for almost 15 years, um, but not full time. I always coached kind of on the side, and and I spent a lot of time um, coaching women in kind of transformational leadership positions. So so as they were kind of moving through their careers, trying to make changes, looking for opportunities to have you know roles with more significance. And, um, you know, the first time I was diagnosed, I was um, 37. I lost the ability to have another baby. It sort of 
you know, it, it ended the version of my family that I thought I would have. And I was um, so devastated and so grief stricken. I just could hardly keep moving forward. Um, but I did have this baby that I wanted to get up for every single day. And um, I wanted to make sure that I, I got up and showed up as the person that I felt she deserved as a mom. And that really was the one thing that got me through. But I felt so um, isolated and alone. And I felt so um, really other than almost anybody that I knew. I, I just couldn't, I just really struggled with connection and felt really lonely. And then um, by chance, my um, daughter had a good friend whose mom had gone through cancer and the two of us connected. And we had been diagnosed and in remission at the exact same time. And having mm -hmm. a friend, um, you know, who had gone through that changed my whole life. It changed everything about the experience for me. It gave me that ability to have short hands again. We had, you know, some dark humor moments that really kind of kept us going through. Um, and I recognize, mm -hmm. you know, that that was kind of the, one of the missing pieces for me is that, that that isolation on top of grief was really pretty unbearable. But if I could start to kind of yes. poke holes and bring some sunlight into some of these areas, um, I could start healing. And it felt like my healing was like compounding just from having that friendship with her. And one of the things that we talked a lot about was how I felt really like there was a mismatch between the challenge of going through this experience and the sort of um, help or services or understanding of what I had experienced on the other side. You know, I didn't, I didn't know how to talk about it. People didn't know how to talk to me about it. Um, I felt, you know, I, I didn't have chemo and radiation. I had a, a surgery the first time. And so I literally walked out of, you know, the hospital, um, spent two weeks kind of in recovery. And from the outside, nobody knew. But inside, I felt unrecognizable to myself. And so I remember saying to my friend, you know, I had been doing leadership um, coaching and, and organizational coaching. And I remember saying to her, you know, if this was kind of an organization, right? If, if, if we were working with an organization that was basically non-functional, there was a series of steps that we would use in order to get them working well, right? To create teamwork, to create goals, to give people kind of a common um, set of marching orders. Like, I don't understand why we don't have this for people as they're in recovery. How do we support people who are going through this kind of recovery from um, cancer treatment? And she and I, she and I would talk about that because that felt like this missing space, this kind of um, gap in what would be needed really for people to recover. Um, but I kind of put that to the side. And um, when my cancer came back three and a half years later, I um, was really devastated and it, it came back and, you know, it was, um, it was a really tough diagnosis. It was, uh, there was some chance that I was going to have to have a surgery that would lead to an extremely low quality of life. And the fear that I felt was really, um, unlike anything I've ever felt before. And I just didn't know how I was going to make it through. And so I, I started to really reflect on the conversations that we'd had, on the tools that I had used for for organizations and for women who were trying to change their lives in, in a, you know, on, on their careers. And I just started using those tools on myself. And I really went from what felt like a ground zero for me was really, really my lowest point. How do I rebuild myself? And um, it worked and it was working. 
And I kept saying, you know, to my doctors, hey, what are we doing for other people? What are, how are we helping other people who are going through this? And, you know, I was referred to a, um, to a, a, a PhD, a psychologist who was working with in the cancer space. And, you know, she gave me a pamphlet on Nietzsche. And I was like, this is so far removed from what I actually needed, which was, you know, step by step instructions. How do I build confidence in myself? How do I build confidence in the world? Right. You know, how do I create trust? How do I deal with fear of recurrence? All these things that are, you know, how do I learn how to show up in the world in a really vulnerable, what felt like a really vulnerable time and a really vulnerable body and still do all of these yeah. things? You know, how do I make a um, all the things? How do I make dinner? How do I stay on? You know, I had a career. How do I stay on my career track? How do I not get pushed to the side, right? I've had a baby and um, two cancer diagnoses in, in uh, four years, right? I had four or three leaves in four years. How do I not get off the career track? You know, all of these things. How do I keep my relationship right. going? How do I be a part of a community? All of that started with my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. And the physical health kind of, you know, I had some control over it. It felt a little bit like time takes time. You know, I just kind of, some days I felt mm -hmm. better and sometimes, some days I didn't. But I really felt strongly that I had full control and responsibility for my mental and emotional health. And that's where these tools came in. Exactly. I think about the pamphlet that I got when I got diagnosed. And I was like... And I have a social worker. They're like, we don't have one. <laughs> Next practice. She retired. And I was like, I, I felt like if I could get to the social worker, the social worker would say, do this or go here to do this. You know, I've only needed a social worker twice in my life. And I've never had one. The first time was when my um, dad was dying in ICU. And the person told me the social worker had died. I can't make this shit up. But like, I'm like craving support and connection and like I know me like this could go really south so like I'm really glad people like you exist I'm really glad people like me are very tenacious and say hey I need this like too. I need this help like I can't do this it's not my fault but it is my responsibility like I have to like keep it moving and do the things, but right. also like maintain sanity, which is mm -hmm. quite difficult to do with all these stressors. And I'm really glad that there are people like you who let some sunlight in. And I am very thankful that I posted on a random Facebook. <laughs> it's not random. It was kind of random. It was like an SOS, like help me. I'm in this support group for another thing. But I just found out I have cancer and I have a little one. And then you commented, <laughs> turns out you went to the same college my wife did and you and I have similar life experiences. So I believe it was like serendipitous in the magic of souls in the soul cauldron mm -hmm. that we met. And I was thinking today on the way to an appointment, I think I posted this on your Instagram. Like you... Like when you are out to dinner with somebody and they order something, you're like, oh, I'll have what she's having. But I kind of feel that way about you, about life. But like what I will take out of that would be like the whole cancer part, right? The tragedy right. shit. But like the, <laughs> just right. the, the life guidance part. So I am eternally grateful 
for you. And I'm so thankful that we found each other and connected. I am too. How do people find you? How can people find you? I found you like serendipitously, but tell the listeners how they how they can find you. Um, thank you for asking. My website is uh, www.thisiscancerstrong.com, and my Instagram is at thisiscancerstrong. Awesome. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes Thank at the you. bottom um, of this episode. Um, I can't wait to have you back. We have so much to cover. We have so much I know. I feel like we're discuss. just getting started. There's so much to, as they say, <laughs> yeah, right? We're just getting started. There's so much to unpack here, as they say, these days. But I am really excited. And I do want to say one thing before we go about energy. You probably have picked up that I have a lot of energy and I'm a high energy person and I am a little bit spastic and still suffer from chemo brain. (laughs) But like when you helped me like compartmentalize and percent put my energy into percentages, Mm -hmm. because you know, I'll be trying to put like 85 things in 15% because that's just who I am as a person. Right. I want to say that that is a valuable tool that you use to even bring like the go big or stay home type like myself into some perspective so I just want to mention that about the energy I'm so glad I am so glad well thank you for hopping on today it was so good to connect and I will be talking to you soon Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breastless Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Go get your mammograms. <laughs>